Jesse and Whitney back from Exchange Church. Um, um, it's kind of like, you know, uh, as, as you get older, your kids go away and then they come back for Christmas. It's kind of like that. Only uh, this time they're, they're bringing gifts, you know, and they come back. So it's really outstanding to have them back. Hope you'll be mindful to pray for the folks over at Exchange Church. They're doing a good work in Rollsville. One of our fastest growing cities and representing Christ beautifully there. So we want to keep them in our prayers. Um, ran across the story of a guy named Chuck Sackett. He's a pastor in Illinois. He tells his story this way. He says, I grew up outside the church. But when I learned about the God and Country Award in the Boy Scouts, I wanted it. He says, if that meant going to church, then that's what I determined to do. Each week, he said, I walked from my house to the little church building in the next block. I walked past the Reinards' home every time, and later I worked for the Reinards doing yard work. I attended that little church on the next block just long enough to get the award, and then I quit. Twelve years later, after I had become a Christian and a pastor, I learned that Mr. and Mrs. Reinard were in a nursing home nearby, and out of friendship for the family, my wife and I decided to pay them a visit. And after a delightful visit, Gail and I turned to leave. And he says, I don't remember which one of them spoke, but I'll never forget what they said. They said, do you remember when you used to walk to that little church? We've not missed one day since praying that God would do something in your life. He says, for 12 years, this elderly couple prayed for me every day, prayed that God would one day do something in my life. I had no other Christian influence at that time, but eventually I became a Christian and a pastor. He says, I was prayed into the kingdom. There is no, simply no other explanation. And I wonder, isn't that what Jesus meant, what he intended, at least in part, when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom should come into people's lives and that people should be brought into that kingdom. Now as we talk together about what it means this year to, to love God and to be devoted to loving His church and these days we're focusing in on what it means to love our neighbors. One of the things that's absolutely non-negotiable for us is that we would pray for our neighbors, pray for the gospel to come to them in such a way that leads them to faith in Christ. Prayer is the God-appointed means whereby he opens our heart to the good news about Jesus. It's how his kingdom comes into a life. And today, we want to talk about how to pray what we're calling circle three prayers, those love your neighbor prayers that are based on the example of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4. And a little bit in Ephesians 6. So if you want to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, that's where we'll, where we'll be today. Paul's going to teach us how to pray for our neighbor's good from a little bit of a different angle. Rather than praying for the hearer, he's going to teach us how to pray for the teller of the good news. And uh, since we're talking about prayer, let's take a minute, let's pray. Okay, bow with me please. Father, be kind to us now. Let your spirit do a good work with the word. Give us responsive hearts. Let us not just hear and not do. Let us be shaped by these good truths that are coming through us, to us, for our neighbor's good. 
And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, in, in Colossians, we find a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Colossae. That's where it gets its name. And it's a, it's a little letter that exalts Christ beautifully. And in chapter 4, it urges us to do the same by the prayers we pray and the life we live before others. We'll start in verse 2 where Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He calls the church to pray, but more than just to pray, to be continuing steadfastly in prayer. Some of your Bibles render that being devoted to prayer, which is a good, a good way to think about it. To be devoted to prayer, the way you're devoted to your morning cup of coffee, the way you're devoted to looking at the stock market report or the sports page or the nightly news or to Facebook or to email or to food, to anything that you won't do without okay, in any given day. Be devoted to prayer. This was the consistent mark from the beginning of the church. Remember in the book of Acts? We see that believers were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. That's been a mark of the church when she's at her most beautiful and most healthy. There's a, a, a fascinating um, occurrence that's been going on the last century in the country of South Korea. Church growth has been pretty phenomenal in South Korea where you have a pr predominantly Buddhist uh, group of people. In 1900, I don't know if you can see this or not, but there was 1% Christian. In 2010, 29% of that country was Christian. And uh, they have some really, I think the largest church in the world is in South Korea. And one of their pastors of one of those great Korean churches contrasts America with South Korea, the church, by saying this. He says, Americans stay after church and eat. We stay after church and pray. Paul calls us to love our neighbors by being devoted to prayer. Intentional, persistent, steadfast prayer. And let, let's be honest. If you're going to be devoted to something, something like prayer, to be intentional and persistent, that usually involves setting a time and making a list. Okay? Set a time, make a list when you're going to pray for those around you. Now, some of you think, I hate schedules, I hate lists, can I have an exemption? Sure, you can have an exemption. If you wake up every day prompted by the Spirit of God to make intercessory prayer for your neighbors in a strategic, biblical way, faithfully, then you don't need a list. Okay? And you don't need a time. But if you're like the rest of us who sleep in and are scattered in prayer and forget who we're supposed to pray for, set a time, make a list. Okay? Today, we are being called to be devoted to prayer. To intercessory prayer for our neighbors in particular. And uh, so let me challenge you. Join me. Set a time. Make a list. And perhaps the simplest way to do this is what Rob Craig champions. 
It's called 111. Most of you have heard of it. Rob's probably talked to you about it. 111. You pray for one friend for one minute at 1 o'clock every day. You say, I got two friends. Two friends for two minutes at 2 o'clock. You can pick a.m. or p.m. every day. Okay? Um, but let's be honest. Devotion often requires discipline. And Paul says, be devoted to prayer, especially prayer. We're going to see that's focused in on, on our neighbors, the good of our neighbors. And he says, our devotion is to be marked by being watchful and thankful. Peter talks about this watchfulness that Paul's thinking about when he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is seeking to devour your neighbors. So whenever you go to prayer for them, you're stepping into spiritual warfare. Okay? Peter assures us you are stepping right into the crosshairs, so be watchful. Really, anytime you pray, it feels like spiritual warfare. You know, have you ever noticed that it's when you start to pray that distractions multiply in your mind like rabbits out of a hat, right? They're just popping in there. You start to pray and you start, well, I'll check the weather. I wonder what the sports scores are. I wonder how, what is that movie playing tonight? It's amazing what pops into your head when you're supposed to be focused praying. Paul calls us to watchfulness. Um, Jesus, Jesus warns us about this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's talking to his disciples. He comes to his disciples. This is the night before the cross ride in the garden when he's praying with his disciples. And he comes to them and he finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be watchful, he says. And be thankful for, for all things to be sure, but supremely thankful for what God has done on your behalf as he rescued you from the snare of sin by the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. Let our prayers for others be marked by thankfulness for what he has done for us. So as we strive to love our neighbors and be devoted to that, being devoted to intercessory prayer with watchfulness and thankfulness is a non-negotiable part of that. Set a time, make a list, and, and don't give up, okay? Persevere in, in this. And nobody challenges me more um, in the area of persevering prayer for, for friends who don't know Christ yet than uh, a fellow named George Mueller who lived um, a couple centuries ago. He writes this in his journal. He says, uh, in November of 1844... I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. So I guess George was probably doing five, five, five back in the day. He, he says, I prayed every day without one single intermission. Persevering and devoted. He says, whether sick or in health, on the land or the sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be, he said, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God for the one and prayed on for the others. Five 
years elapsed. And then the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. Six years more passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. And he said, these two remain converted. He says, they remain unconverted. For next November, it will be 36 years I began to pray daily for their conversion. There's a little footnote added posthumously by someone else that says one of those remaining two was converted before Mr. Mueller's death and the last one um, gave clear evidence of conversion after Mr. Mueller had passed away. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful, thankful, and persevering in prayer, especially prayer for those who don't know Christ around you. And Paul moves now into that focus of praying, and he does it in a very different way. He asks for the church to pray for him, and he asks for three things. Two of them come from Colossians chapter 4, one from Ephesians 6, and the related similar passage there. Let's look at Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4 first. This is what Paul says, at the same time, as you're devoted in prayer, pray also for us. Pray for me and my team, Paul says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So right out of the box, first thing he says to be praying about is for an open door to share Christ. I love the way the King James Version says that he calls it a door of utterance. That's a chance to speak of Christ. He said, pray for an open door. We want to, as we're devoted to loving our neighbors, to become daily praying for open doors. The implication is that God opens doors in people's hearts to the gospel, the good news about Jesus, in response to prayer. It affects circumstances and hearts so that there's an opportunity to speak of Christ. So for reasons that I don't know, there was a church in Phoenix that did this little experiment. They took 160 names from a phone book at random. Now, some of you don't know what a phone book is. That used to list phone numbers, and you could look them up before you had a smartphone, right? So they took names at random, 160 names divided into two groups of 80. One group, for three months, the church prayed daily for those 80 people. The other group, they just set the names aside and none of them were prayed for, for for 90 days, for three months. At the end of that time, the church called everyone on the list, all 160 people, and asked them whether they would allow Christians to visit and pray for them. And the result was this, only one person on the list of the 80 that was not prayed for said, yes, please come pray for me and I'd like you to visit me. On the list where they were prayed for daily for three months, 69 of the 80 for whom the church members prayed were prepared to allow Christians to visit. 45 requested that they come into their homes, offered them coffee, and gave them special prayer requests. This is a happy confirmation of what we already know is true. Paul's teaching us this, right? By his example, prayer opens doors to the gospel. (laughs) Paul's in prison, 
in Roman prison, writing both of these letters, the one to Colossians and Ephesians, are written from prison, and he's praying, give me an open door. Even though I'm in prison, give me an open door for the gospel. Don't miss the implication. We need God to open these doors. This is what he does. It is what we cannot do. Whether we are in prison or whether it's at work or in our classroom or in our neighborhoods, openness to the gospel is a work of God that's facilitated by our prayers. So, will you pray for open doors? Will you join me in praying for open doors? Will you set a time and make a list and ask God to open those hearts for, to the gospel? That's the first ingredient in the prayers that Paul's teaching us to pray. Pray for open doors. Secondly, he prays, um, let's see, uh, I guess it's right there. He says, pray on account of which I am, I am prison that I, may that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he prays to be clear. In Ephesians, he says it a little differently, but the same idea. He says, for me... Pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He asks for words to be given to him so that he can be clear. Now think about who's praying for this. The Apostle Paul is asking to be clear. This is the guy who wrote the lion's share of your New Testament. He's pretty clear. Okay? He wrote the best definition of the gospel we have. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I think he's got the gospel, but he's praying for clarity and for words to be given to him. It's so important that God give us words to speak that are clear, that represent Christ well. Lack of clarity can get you in trouble. Can miscommunicate. There was um, a number of years ago, the state of Washington, they evidently have a large uh, population of Korean and Chinese uh, immigrants that live in their country and still speak that as their primary language. And the Secretary of State, his name was Sam Reed, he wanted to reach out to them in his own language. So his messages to taxpayers were translated into Chinese and Korean on the state's website, but they weren't translated very clearly. So you get things like this. When Reed wrote about statewide mandates to restore public trust, the website posted in Chinese read, Swampy Weed Suggests Whole State Order Recover Open Trust. Okay. you you got to be clear if you want to communicate. I remember, and this whole going from English to Chinese is really hard. But going from Chinese to English is really, really hard. And uh, it's called Chinglish. And whenever I travel to China, uh, I find examples of this. A couple years ago, Jake and I went to far, far northwest China where there's not much English spoken. And we went into a little store that was a children's store. And they had, you know, strollers and clothing. And the clothing had English sayings on them. Here's an example of one of the, one of the shirts um, from that clothing store. If I can find it. There it is. Whoop. It says, um, Peanut Kids. Get up with sunrise every day. And when the moon rises most highly, is sleeps. Favorite food is delicious water and great manure. 
peanut, peanut kids have many friends, right? I bet with breath like that, they have many friends, right? Man, um, it's, uh, you got to be clear, okay? You got to be clear if you want to communicate. Paul says, pray, pray that we'd be clear better, pray that we would reveal Christ in what we say clearly. The King James Version again says it beautifully, it says make him manifest. We want to make the mystery clear. Um, John Piper says put together the two words clear and mystery. The goal of evangelism is to make a mystery clear. The gospel is not a mystery because it's confusing or obscure like a tricky riddle. It's a mystery because no one would ever know it or think of it unless God had made it plain. That the Son of God should become man. That he should live a life of poverty and love. That he should die in a place of sinners and bear the curse of the law, though he was sinless. That he should rise from the dead and reign in heaven today. That the ungodly should be justified by faith alone. That Jew and Gentile, red and yellow, black and white, should be reconciled in one body to God. That Christ should dwell in our hearts and seal us for glory. He said, these things no one would ever have dreamed of. They are the mystery hidden from the ages in God, but now to be revealed and made plain to the world in evangelism. And that's what we should pray is happening all over the world and right here. We pray that Christ would be revealed accurately. We don't want to confuse or mislead or misrepresent we want to pray to be clear. We'd have words. Pray these things for our missionaries. Okay? You can imagine they are stepping into that Chinese culture and other cultures around the world learning difficult language, trying to communicate different, difficult concepts. And it's hard. When I was sitting around this week with some of our leaders who've served overseas and they were talking about language faux pas that they make. And one of the ones that that I was familiar with was a guy who used to serve in Indonesia, and he gave his first talk in the Indonesian language, and as he got to the end, he invited people, he wanted to invite people to ask Jesus into their hearts, but he used the word pants, and so he invited, they asked him to invite Jesus into their pants. Um, this is what our missionaries face. They all got stories like this. So when you pray for our missionaries who are on the backside of that bulletin, unless they're in Franklinton, most of them can speak the language pretty good up in Franklinton, but pray for them, okay? Pray that they would have open doors and that they would be clear and represent Christ well. Um, there's one last thing that's an ingredient of the way prayers are to be prayed that Paul asks uh, to, be, to have open doors and to be clear, and the last one is in Ephesians 6. He says, pray for me also that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says it twice there. Did you catch it? He says, pray that I would be bold. Now again, think about who's asking for this. The apostle Paul is asking for prayers to be bold. Um, back in Acts 21, Paul's in Jerusalem, I, I think it is, and a violent mob has him. He's only rescued by Roman soldiers who intervene and carry him out. And as soon as he gets out of the mob, Paul says, I beg you, 
please let me speak to the people. The same violent mob that just tried to kill him. This guy, he needs to ask for prayer for boldness. How much more do we need to ask for prayer for boldness? Um, a, guy, a guy I was really encouraged by, um, he's a former Ohio congressman. His name is Tony Hall. And he had the privilege of speaking uh, a number of years ago at the National Prayer Vectus. And he says, he says when, I, when he first went to Washington, he says, I didn't know God, and I was tired of my ambition. He said he, he attended the prayer breakfast and heard others describe the process that they'd gone through to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that event set him on a spiritual journey that led him and his wife to become Christians. Paul urged those people at the prayer breakfast, religious Christian men and women of both parties, not to be shy about bringing their faith to the office and letting it be part of who they are in public. And he, he told a story about a trip where he went to an Islamic country where he was greeted when he got there by the U.S. ambassador at the airport. And the ambassador, the ambassador said, Congressman Hall, I just want to remind you, you are in a Muslim country. Don't talk about religion, or it could really set back what we're trying to accomplish here. And Hall said, he just nodded politely. And when they arrived at the office of the Muslim leader, Hall says he was asked why he had come to their country. And Hall said, I would like to be your friend. I would like our countries to be friends. And I would like to invite you to the national prayer breakfast in the name of Jesus. So the Muslim leader got very excited about this, and he slapped his knee, and according to Hall said, this is remarkable. You have come all this way to be my friend and to talk to me about Jesus. That is wonderful. My mother used to talk to me a lot about Jesus when I was a child. We should talk about Jesus more. <laughs> and then this Muslim leader turned to the ambassador and said, why don't you talk to me about Jesus? Let's not be that guy, okay? Let's not be the guy who when our, our neighbors say to us, why didn't you talk to me about Jesus? Or our, our coworkers say, why didn't you talk to me about Jesus? Let's not be that guy. And the way that we are not that guy is that we pray and ask God to give us a boldness that is not natural to us, that comes from Him. Just as Paul asked for prayer from the church for these things, today I want to ask you to pray these things for, for our leaders, for the people who stand here and preach the word. Okay? Pray, pray that we would have open doors. There are people who come into our church family to visit us, and they're not yet believers. They're asking questions. They're skeptics. They're seeking Pray for an open door for the gospel. Pray, pray this for me. Pray that I would be clear and I would be bold when I present Christ. Um, you can pray this especially when our services come to a close and we ask for a response. Okay? Don't check out, church. Don't check out and start putting things away and getting ready for lunch and thinking about what game's on today, right? That's time for you to, to ratchet up the intercession and ask God to open hearts to the gospel and for clarity and boldness as it's presented. 
I'm going to ask uh, for a show of hands on this. Um, how many of you would say that you have strengths or abilities or maybe even gifts in the area of evangelism, talking to people about Jesus? Would you mind just raising your hand high for a second? Okay, Re uh, Come on, high. Don't be ashamed. You can't be an evangelist and be ashamed of it. Come on, raise your Okay, Okay, we have a few more than the first service, but not very many. First of all, may your tribe increase, okay? We need more people like you who are skilled and willing and gifted to talk to people about Jesus. So church is a beautiful thing to pray. Pray for more people with these gifts to come and join us. Pray that we would get these gifts. God gives us these gifts. Pray that we would have the ability to speak to others about Christ. But these people around you, you notice who they were, right? You know some of these people. This is how you pray for them. Just like Paul asked the church to pray for him as a missionary evangelist, these people who have these abilities, God-given abilities in our church, pray that they would have open doors and that they'd be clear and that they'd have boldness to walk through those doors. You can pray this for your small group. When somebody says, I have a friend at work, doesn't know Jesus, would you pray for him? Pray not just for the hearer, but the teller. And I, I'm sure if Paul's asking for prayer for these things, he was praying these things for himself. You can pray these three things for yourself. That, that God would grant you open doors and words to speak and boldness to, to speak them. Amen. Set a time. Make a list. Pray these things. Pray, Paul says. It's the first thing, pray. And then, in the last two verses we'll look at, he says to do two other things. Pray, and then he says, do show and tell. Okay? Look at these last two verses. After he says pray, he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. That's show. And then he adds, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's tell. Show and tell. You remember show and tell, right? Early elementary, right? Kids bring in weird stuff from home. Hold, they talk about it, tell you about their families and stuff. Uh, one of the tragic things is that that didn't continue all the way through college. Show and tell is like the best part of, of school. But there was a, I ran across this situation where it says that things got a little too exciting at a San Francisco Bay Area Elementary School uh, last year in January, where according to the Hernando County Sheriff's Office, a second grader brought a hollowed-out hand grenade to Suncoast Elementary School in Spring Hill that morning for show-and-tell. Deputies and Hernando County Fire and Rescue personnel were called to the scene. It caused quite a scare among parents and students. Authorities said while in class, the second grader made inappropriate statements prompting concern. What, what could you possibly say that wouldn't be inappropriate about having a hand grenade in a second grade class? I'm thinking, but hey, that's show and tell. He had their attention, right? Paul says we are to pray and show and tell. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Show, show, act wisely toward outsiders, walk in, in wisdom. We need this. There was a book 
a couple of years ago written called Unchristian, and the author um, highlighted some troubling statistics from this study, this extensive study that was done by the Barna Research Group, interviewing people who were born between 1965 and 2002, um, and they asked them questions about the church. And nearly nine out of ten of what they call young outsiders um, said that the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christianity. Nine out of ten of them says that's what describes us. Of the non-Christians surveyed, 84% said they had personally, they personally know at least one committed Christian, yet just 15% thought the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. Paul says, show them Christ by the way you wisely walk in this world. And by wise, he has in mind conduct that portrays the mystery of Christ, that shows them Christ, that attracts people to Christ. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament, right? Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, his famous sermon, says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul says even slaves can do this. He writes in Titus 2, slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Even slaves can witness by their work the beauty of Christ. One of the most fascinating stories I've read happened quite a while ago. Um, in 1972, there was a young Egyptian businessman, his name was Farahat, and he lost an $11,000 watch. Um, he was stunned, it says, when a garbage man dressed in filthy rags found it and returned it to him. Farahat asked him why he didn't just keep the watch, and the garbage man said, my Christ told me to be honest until death. Farahat later told a reporter, I didn't know Christ at the time, but I told the garbage man that I saw Christ in him, and I told him, because of what you have done in your great example, I will worship the Christ you are worshiping. Now, just six years later, Farahat was ordained by the Coptic Orthodox Church and became known as Father Saman, and he then became, later on, a church uh, about 10 years ago, it had 10,000 believers meeting in a large cave outside the garbage village. At that time, it was the largest church of believers in the Middle East. And all this, the article says, because one garbage man chose to humbly return a watch that would have made him the richest man in town. See, it's show and tell. Right? Show and tell. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, amongst the outsiders, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
We are to live amongst the unbelievers, not withdraw from them, live amongst them in such a way that they see something different. Okay? They are shown something different. We live wisely and we show Christ by our good deeds and by our integrity and by our purity. Paul says, and we are to make the most, the best use of the time. Some have rendered that, make the most of every opportunity. Did you ever have a sense that you were being prompted to talk to somebody about Christ or to help them in some way or even to pray for them and you were just too busy and so you just let that prompting kind of fall? I wonder how many promptings have just drifted away because we've been too busy to follow the prompting of the Spirit of God. We need to pray every day, God, you open the door, I will walk through it. You open the door, I will walk through it. Because somebody's going to need help at work. There's going to be someone at school that needs a friend. There's going to be a neighbor who needs some help in the yard. There's going to be somebody that's going to need a little bit of cash. There's somebody alone that's going to need some time. Somebody that serves you, a waitress or a mechanic, is going to need somebody to pray for them. We want to seize every opportunity to show the mystery of the love of Christ. To show and to tell. And that's, that's what he says in the very next verse. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Paul turns now from show to tell about our conversations. And again, the assumption is we're having conversations with outsiders. They're our friends. We know them. And these conversations are needful because it's show and tell. Our deeds need our clear, bold words for the gospel to make sense and to be known. Now, last week, George Robinson, one of our elders, helped us see a simple way to tell the good news about Christ. You remember, he used these three circles, talked about the fact that our God is a good father who has a good plan for our lives, but when we go our own way, the Bible calls that sin, brokenness enters into our lives, and we've all experienced it when we've departed from God's good plan. But Christ has come, and the good news, the gospel, is that Christ has made a way for us to be restored and reconciled to God's good plan for our lives. It's just that, that simple. You can start on any circle, and you can explain to them what Christ has done for us and how he makes a way for us to know the Father. And Paul urges us to be having gracious, salty conversations, they often flow best when we've listened to people well, when we've heard what their brokenness is and what, what remedies they're trying, they're hoping in. Paul is urging us to bring God into everyday conversation in a winsome way, to mention God, to offer prayer, to give thanks, to give credit to God when credit is due him, okay? to show and to tell Christ. But as Paul teaches us, it all starts with prayer, for open doors, for clear words, for boldness. And uh, 
if God is prompting you today to begin to pray like this, maybe even, maybe even to pray specifically for a particular friend for an open door. And let me encourage you, the worship team's going to come and lead us during that time, just as an act of kind of consecrating that intent. Make your way down front here and just bow low in prayer and let God know that, that you want to walk this out, that you want to pray this way. You want to pray this way for your friend who is on your heart. So if you'll stand, let's worship Christ together and respond to him um, by coming for prayer as well. Stay. 